Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. As many of our regular listeners know, we often deal with complex issues involved in the local political scene, but this week we are trying to get our arms around a very big topic indeed, that of AI, artificial intelligence and its governance. Now, of course, you could leave this to myself and Simon, but that would kind of be like giving a cow a musket and a mule a spinning wheel. So rather than us try and deal with something far beyond our uh, our understanding, Simon, we've got a guest. Uh, we have indeed. We're, we're joined uh, this evening by uh, Robert Whitfield, who's the chair of the One World Trust, um, and um, and has written um, some interesting articles and papers uh, on on those issues. I've put some links to those um, into the chat for everybody. Um, so welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, and as Ian said, um, well, it's um, the audience are going to be much better informed by listening to what you've got to say than what we have on the subject. So, um, so just to help us um, un- understand your your background a, a bit more, if that's okay, do you mind just um, introducing yourself, um, how you got involved with, with this subject? Uh, yes. I mean, my this is not something I've grown up with. My background was in business, uh, in particularly in aerospace, in Airbus, where I had various senior management positions. But after I left Airbus, um, I then sort of started to engage in uh, in environmental governance and environmental solutions and did a master's. And, uh, and, and then uh, at one point, when I was, I was chair of the One World Trust by that time, uh, I, I read a book, Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom. Uh, I'd had one more book on that topic called Singularity, and Singularity seemed to me uh, completely science fiction. But uh, superintelligence, I really engaged with. I uh, totally immersed myself in it. I marked it up page by page. I thought it was absolutely a brilliant book. Uh, and so that started me thinking because basically superintelligence was flagging up a big problem that at the moment we don't have a solution for. And the solution is very, very, very difficult to define. And that's what the book was all about. Uh, and that then later got me into um, a, a particular international working group, which I chair with the World Federalist Movement. Um, and got me into leading a program on AI governance and AI safety for the, for the One World Trust, which leads me to be here. Thank you very much. That's marvellous. So when we're thinking about artificial intelligence, it's one of those, it's, it's very much a, a, a buzzword or a phrase that's sort of thrown about regularly, we see it in the media. So w- what are we talking about when we say, you know, AI? Are we talking about things like, you know, my faithful digital assistants, which are all around my house, is it is it self-driving cars, you know, it, or is it is it something different? Try try and define it for us, please, Robert. Well, uh, this artificial intelligence, it was, you know, it was initially sort of conceived by Alan Turing back in the early 50s. Uh, and since then, there have been multiple definitions of what it is uh, and so there is no one fixed definition and that's one of the problems with uh, with various regulatory uh, conventions as to how to define it um, there's a classic book on artificial intelligence by Russell and Norvig and there they talk about um, systems that think like humans or systems that act like humans or systems that think rationally or systems that act rationally. But Stuart Russell himself comes up with a a definition, which I think is good, um, that an AI is intelligent insofar as what it does is likely to achieve what it wants, given what it has perceived. Mm. And that basic concept, yes, it's it, you will find it in digital assistance in self-driving cars, 
uh, with chat GPT, which may help you to uh, cheat in an exam if that's what you want to do. Um, but the key point is that, that the impact of AI on human existence, it's really only just beginning. I mean, some of the things that search and recommendation algorithms, chatbots, facial mm. detection, these are all today, but soon AI will impact every, every single aspect of our lives. And, and that's very interesting because, uh, again, when I think about, uh, you know, I, I rely quite a lot on my digital assistants there. You know, it, it is, I think I've shared on the podcast before, as, as somebody with no useful vision, the ability to have all my music and a library of talking books that, that can pick up wherever I've left off, you know, as I wander around the house um, is enormously beneficial to me. And I think that the flip side to that is obviously sometimes the irritation when, you know, suddenly on a Facebook feed, you might have searched for something and suddenly it's suggesting other products you might wish to purchase of a similar nature. Uh, I mean, is that is that a kind of, am I framing that as the, the basics of, of artificial intelligence? You said there that it was, Almost that's that's the that's the AI of today, rather than the AI of tomorrow. That that's right. I mean, so what you've described is yeah is is a sort of is a, a good application. Um, you know, the the downside of that is that uh, you'll probably find that your personal assistant is uh, taking in a lot of information about you, and as you said mm. with the apps, um, you, you you're soon finding that. And they've done lots of tests like this um, that your your assistant, your virtual assistant, um, will in practice probably know you better than uh, your even quite close friends. You know, if if you if you were asked close friends about aspects of you, and you asked a personal assistant, you'll find that the ai actually knows you better mm, and yeah I, it is something i'm I, i've always been cognizant of because uh, as i mentioned i think i've got eight i've got one in every room of the house and um, <laughs> and um so uh yeah they're, they're they're constantly listening yeah yeah but but do you then raise a point i mean maybe you know maybe one if, if one is happy with that then then fine um, and, and yeah, and I we will probe some of those sort of moral dilemmas uh, yeah. later in the podcast. It's that yeah. you know, it, it is the classic, isn't it? You know, well, uh, somebody's listening to you, and it's it's I guess as uh, as myself and Simon who uh, who regularly do a podcast, we rather hope that at least somebody is listening to us, even if it's only the <laughs> digital assistant, Simon. <laughs> Okay, so um, so in some of the some of the things when we um, when we read through uh, the material that, that you've produced, we you know it uses terms like AGI and uh, superintelligence just to help us kind of contextualize what we're talking about. What 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 do they mean, and what do they what would they represent in in practical terms in every in everyday life? Yeah, well, I think it's it's worth, it's worth seeing. Uh, these these terms in in terms of a, of a ladder of progression, um, mm -hmm. and at the moment uh, we mm. all the AI that any of us have had contact with is really is narrow AI or simple AI, but it's typically called narrow, where it it it, it essentially does one thing and it does that quite well, but it doesn't do lots of radically different things. Uh, what people are, some people are working towards is then the next step, which is a big step up, which is artificial general intelligence. Uh, and that's where uh, an autonomous system uh, it surpasses human capabilities in the majority of economically valuable tasks. Uh, so that is a, is, is a, is a, significant challenge to get there mm -hmm. um, but if you get to artificial and general, general intelligence then what it's saying is uh, that you have an, an, an entity as a sort of system that's really comparable or even superior to you in your economic capability but that's still if of, of the three words you came up with um, that's the middle level and then going beyond that 
there's the concept of artificial superintelligence. Uh, and there, really, there is no limit to the level. Um, you've, you've got, if you like, got from naught to one, um, one being our level of intelligence, and that's what artificial general intelligence is. But uh, artificial superintelligence, maybe it, it may start by being twice as intelligent as us. It could be 10 times, it could be a thousand times, it could be a million times more intelligent than us. Uh, and this links to the term of the title of that first book, Singularity, that people think that the rate of increase in intelligence is likely to become very rapid when you, when you, if you, if we do reach that point of, of superintelligence, because superintelligence is able to design better versions of itself and probably replicate them, if you think of software, replicate them very rapidly. Uh, what, you, what you find um, in the press recently, and it's really been only in the last six months, there's a, there's a new term, frontier models. Um, and, and if you think of what I've described as sort of three steps in a ladder, then the concept of a frontier model is just uh, where if we where has society got to in scaling that ladder um, and it, it, there, there are certain things that are likely to be of significance sort of at that frontier and that's what the focus is on at the moment in, in, and, and in when, of, sorry oh sorry go on but in, in terms of you, you asked about practical terms mm. so for an AGI um, if you think of a, of a robot able to do what you can do. Uh, in terms of thinking of, of in practical terms, what an uh, artificial superintelligence might be, if you think of an entity that's able to manage a nuclear fusion plant, design and fabricate medicines, manage a rocket launch to the moon, all at the same time, whilst rapidly designing and creating still more superintelligent entities. That's the sort of thing that could happen. Uh, if we if we allow it to happen, it's interesting you say that you you, you use the plural in the entities there, because I, I think in a lot of the I mean certainly uh, and forgive me for like reaching reaching for science fiction, but in a lot of the science fiction explorations of singularity and artificial intelligence, they seem to focus on there being one artificial intelligence. When is that in reality likely to be the situation? Because it, it's not being developed in one location, is it? Is is it likely to be multiple different iterations or different uh, versions depending on who's developing it or yeah I or mean, how it's evolved from there are there are a range of scenarios and i don't think we can mm -hmm. be prescriptive now as to which one would would be most likely um but you you, you can uh if you think of there being you know several centers for developing uh artificial general intelligence and then improved intelligence beyond that um, they you know they might produce sort of rival um, super intelligences at the same time you know some people have suggested there should be one uh, global center that works on the development of super intelligence and that would certainly lead to the sort of the single in super, uh, super intelligence that you're describing uh, Personally, I think we need to think very long and hard before mm. we allow a superintelligence to enter our realm. And the, the material you're um, referring to, it, it talks about the importance of a of the ability to, you know, effectively a pause button if the intelligence, if you like, is getting too clever. Um, now, fans of science fiction know how that, how that seems to um, it seems to be a, a stable in in a lot of the in a lot of the stories. That's a um, a contention point in a in a in the struggle for um you know essentially for want of a better phrase the dominance species on on, on the planet but is is that why that pause is really important before it gets actually too clever for us to be able to understand or control uh, i mean that's right i mean the, the 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 reality is that in these frontier models these large language models with which you've seen with chat gpt gpt4 and things they the the makers the designers of these models do not understand 
how they work. And mm -hmm. that is troubles many people. Uh, you know, it, it, it troubles many computer scientists. Uh, and until one understands how something works, uh, it is seems to be foolish to be thundering on to develop something that is much, much more powerful than the one that you don't understand how it works. And I think that leads us in. And so yeah. that, that was carry on. That, uh, and, and so that was um, back in, in, in March this year, that was the call for um, for a pause. And often that what the pause was referring to is, is it was misstated. Some people were talking about it being a, a pause, uh, you know, a stopping developing um, artificial intelligence at all, which was complete nonsense. All they were saying was that, that we should stop scaling, which is going to the next level. And uh, each time they've been scaling, they have been increasing the computational power applied to a system by a factor of 10. So it's an enormous mm. increase in power. Um, and what what was suggested back in, in, in March was that you had with GPT-4 an ex extremely powerful, impressive um, uh, AI system that people didn't understand, which which was much more capable than people were expecting. And those are characteristics which would not suggest, right, let's make something, you know, 10 times more powerful mm. than this and see what happens. Uh, first of all, understand uh, how, what GPT-4, how it works, why it is uh, so good, uh, and then take a decision uh, which should be a very openly discussed decision as to whether to scale, to go forward to uh, a still more powerful version. So if we think about that, Robert, because, you know, I, I think Simon's touched on it before and, you know, uh, there, there, is, there is something a touch dystopian about the, you know, the, the, the robots taking over. But I guess if we look at it through the, the sort of, you know, through perhaps a more positive lens, um, what what do you see as the as the opportunities for the use of AI? You know, is it is it simply, you know, the, the to harbour the forces, you know, or to advance the 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 causes of darkness, or you know, there, there has to be some positive societal or ecological or economic benefits from advancing it. So so what is the what is the case for? No, yeah, yeah, no, unquestionably. Uh... AI and more advanced AI can offer huge benefits to, to mankind. Um, and be very clear, I, I'm totally uh, accept yeah. that. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and, it, you know, um, the latest one of the recent things is um, nuclear fusion, where DeepMind has managed to sort of control plasma um, at the moment for two seconds until the the, uh, the system overheated, but that wasn't DeepMind's fault. Uh, we, we've seen with with some of their, you know, five years ago, their early systems playing playing Go, uh, where, you know, early on the machine was really not very capable. Um, and, you know, a couple of months later, it was able to beat the world champion. Uh, and so if they're able to control plasma for even a short space of time, there is a real chance that that could continue to develop and improve to the point where we start to have nuclear fusion, which would be a, a huge step forward. Uh, sim the, similarly, the same deep mind, I mean, they came up with uh, their protein folding, which is dramatically uh, impacted medicine. Uh, Demis Sabis, who uh, was the, one of their co-founder and the current uh, chief executive, he is looking in the, in, the, in the near term at quantum chemistry and that leading to material design, such as the idea of designing new materials 
So you could design them on a computer before you test them out laboriously in mm. the laboratory. Uh, you could have room temperature superconductors. You know, at the moment, they, they will only work at extremely low temperatures. Much better batteries, solar panels. Uh, so that there are lots of things that are, people are currently thinking about and currently working on, which would make a huge difference. And then if you then stand back, um, I mean, I think you can you can see society reaching the point where it is able to, you know, to to decide what it want, where it wants improvements, uh, and those improvements will be developed. Uh, people will be lifted out of poverty. There'll be huge economic growth. Uh, there can be solutions to climate change, to biodiversity, and other environmental challenges. So, you know, other things being equal, that the sky is mm. the limit. There's huge benefit to come, but the problem is that other things are not equal. Namely, just as the benefits get bigger and bigger uh, as the AI gets more intelligent, so do so too do the risks, um, and that that list of risks is is. Uh, is very serious and i can certainly go into that and that and that's where i was that's exactly where i was going to take you next robert you know for for every ying there is a yang mm -hmm. and I, I guess the history yeah. of the history of technological advances shows us that you know whilst there has been you know whilst there's been much you know many tangible benefits to society more often than not there is a there is a spin-off or a dark side that you kind of have to balance you know i remember having this conversation with somebody about you know is the internet a good thing and you know and social media and connectivity and it's it's one i've mused on yeah. um so let, let's focus in on on you know what are those tangible risks perhaps the ones that are more near term and that you know perhaps you can already see developing rather than the more kind of slightly distant catastrophic singularity where where we are potentially all controlled by the robots. Okay. Well, well, um, you know, what, one area is, is is simply the you know the impact which we're experiencing today uh, of social media, which, as currently designed, it 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 it, it sort of pulls you know billions of people mm. uh, into effective silos. Um, into it, it sort of nudges them constantly into areas uh, of these silos where they can be targeted with sort of one stream of advertising would fit that whole group of people once you've sort of corralled them into having the same set of views. Uh, so there's a huge issue about social media. Uh, there's a whole question of, of bias, mm. which is quite different, namely, the bias comes from the fact that these AI systems are trained on huge amounts of data. Uh, and that data is just what reflects society today and, and society in the past. Um, and so you will have all sorts of things that the AI learning uh, will come across of misogyny or racism or, or lots, lots of things. Um, uh, you know, some of the more uh, unattractive characteristics of, 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 of humanity will be appear in novels, will appear all over the place. And so the AI absorbs these um, and, uh, and that can come out um, in, uh, in the form of bias in terms of if you use it for decision making. Um, and uh, a lot of societies are interested in using it for decision making, you know, whether that's for employment or uh, whether you could get a mortgage or whatever it is. Um, and certainly in the early systems, they found, uh, you know, uh, you know, no, no women were getting a mortgage or no, no uh, people of color were getting a mortgage or whatever it was, because that was, uh, it, it had, on its data, it had worked out a sort of mm. certain relationship. Um, there's then the surveillance which you have in in you know, in places in in China and uh, with the Uyghurs, where 
um, you have sort of this big brother system of uh, detecting people and then facial recognition uh, and constant monitoring of you know you you were there and you've just come from there uh, sort of very much a big brother control that for the Uyghurs has led to um, you know huge numbers of them going into uh, camps because they've worn a headscarf or mm. something uh, and you get and there are deep deep fakes um, so images uh, or now increasingly uh, video or vi video with uh, uh, with with sound yes. uh, that is totally fabricated um, I, I watched something yesterday where the UN Secretary General was talking about this um, and he was saying that he had seen um, uh, a video of himself uh, giving a speech in Chinese um, and it was perfect the the lips were totally synced um, you know the only point he made was he, he can't speak Chinese you know and this was this was totally fabricated uh, and so if if a speech like that and you know some uh antagonistic antagonistic words or you know mm. belligerent words or whatever were put into his mouth um there's huge scope for for uh for manipulation of of, of people it's an it, it's a very interesting uh, point because again uh you know touching back on the world of science fiction uh, you know uh douglas adams with his babel fish which meant that uh all languages could be understood by everyone and i think his observation was it had led to more world wars than any other um invention known to man and and i think there is this piece where you know uh, and it's interesting just hearing you speak there that the sort of media bias where you know if you if you look in into us politics you know it's that you know if, if you are a watcher of fox news it it reinforces the bias but i think what you've described there is you know we've always mm. we've always been able to say well the camera never lies or i heard it with my own ears and i guess yeah. we we are we are exactly. perhaps I, I was listening to a podcast in the week and it was only in the run-up to this where they have news readers they announce things and then they say something completely silly but it's in the genuine voice of the news reader and i, I i've never quite worked out how persuaded the news reader to to come in and you know record the piece of nonsense but i think i'm at the point now where yeah. they don't have to do that they just sample the the person's voice and build up a construct that's right and and i think a lot of these systems use this sort of concept of generative adversarial networks which is a long words but it's a simple idea that you have one ai which tries to come up with the fake let, let, let's say it's a, it's a it's a picture of a woman uh the woman's face uh and the other ai tries to determine whether that is the woman or it's a it's an ai generated uh fake and so you have these two just as alpha go be became brilliant and defeated the world champion with go by playing itself so the same thing here you you have one making and making the fake and the other detecting whether it is a fake or not and so they both get better and better and better in their skills and the, the, net, the net result is that you're, you're having these uh, remarkably convincing fakes whether it's um, wow. images or sound or whatever it is so, so i guess if you've got that sort of technology that can on one hand be used to to create a new Beatles single or it can be used to create a sweary tirade of a political leader or a inflammatory speech um, from a political leader um, and that's the that's the you know there is a nice application for it and then there's a there's the dangerous level of of the application for it isn't yeah. it I guess that's yeah. the yeah that that's the risk so um so what are the sorts of groups organizations you know groups of groups of people that are that are working on this it's because it's quite clearly you know it's not a couple of uh, a couple of you know students working from a workbench in someone's garage or something but it's um you know what's what sorts of groups are 
are working on that and and are they what are they led by what are they, what would what would their goals be yeah well i mean the, <clears throat> i mean, at the moment the the space is is largely dominated by uh the early players who uh did very well in the in the field generally of tech uh and so you have these small number of trillion dollar companies um so big tech uh and uh then it, it's now become quite a battle between these these companies um one of them for instance google has made become a trillion dollar company through essentially one uh tool which is which is search and it's been brilliant at as a search engine uh but you now have the the the, the concept that that ai in the form of gpt4 or or whatever uh it's future versions could be applied to support uh an otherwise relatively weak search engine to make as, as powerful or even superior to to google um and you know people have been talking about the end of end of search because ai is going to, to come in so you've got these huge organizations who are you know playing very big stakes um at the same time you you have got uh, a lot of smaller ai firms <coughs> um some, some startups with some few bright people <coughs> um in that it's it's very expensive and you require huge resources to train uh, uh, a GPT-4 or a BART or whatever it is. Uh, but but the the use of the system um, it requires much less fewer resources. So it's it's much more realistic, feasible for uh, for a for a startup to uh, to, to be focusing on the application of one of these uh, foundational models. Uh, <clears throat> you then, uh, you have some developers who are, uh, you know, are very consciously working towards artificial general intelligence. And as I say, that's, it's a big question as to whether we want to reach artificial general intelligence or are we ready for it? Uh, have a there is is and uh, there was a i read one of the participants you know and yesterday you know claiming you know the race is on uh and he's and, and his team uh you know frantically trying to beat the others to be the first to get to reach this goal um even though it's a hugely questionable goal for humanity there are then there are the people working in safety um far far too few of them uh the i think it's being considered there are much less than one percent of the research effort uh the total overall research effort for ai development less than one percent goes into safety and safety thinking about the safety of the system uh and jeffrey hinton who's the software engineer who is considered the, the sort of the godfather um of uh, uh, of deep neural networks. Um, he argues that it should be 50% should be focusing on safety, not 1%, not less than 1%, but 50%. So a huge transformation. Uh, there are people collaborating, uh, but, uh, but most of the, and there's, there's some work done by academics and research done by academics, some by governments, institutions, but, but it's that that's dwarfed on the whole by the uh by the commercial r d budgets and that uh, and so what you you have is a set of people with with goals that are often very different i mean there are goals mm. to improve the business profitability there are goals to achieve agi uh, and go beyond that you know for its own sake um or there are some who are you know, are taking a more balanced approach. They're trying to achieve benefits, but whilst avoiding uh, the risks. And for me, the, the key question is, what is the rush? Uh, uh, people talk a great deal about innovation. You mustn't, you mustn't, uh, you know, slow down or impair innovation as though that is some God-given thing. 
But if it's innovation in order to destroy the human race, uh, it doesn't seem to me there's such a hurry. Surely we should just make sure that the steps we are taking, the innovative steps we are taking, uh, are steps in the right direction. Mm. And your point is, it, is it the age-old race to could we do a thing rather than should we do a thing? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and interesting, Robert, in your paper, it points out the the, the need for greater regulation. And uh, again, some of those uh, those very large companies that you, you, you mentioned there um, perhaps have, have had an uneasy regular an uneasy kind of relationship with regulators you know we regularly see you know the likes of facebook and 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 apple kind of really trying to to stay out of the reach of the regulator how how do you think the you know these these big multinational tech companies with budgets far beyond what uh, any government could hope for how how can the regulation of such organizations be be addressed well uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a key question, um, and uh, and the the simple answer is that governments have to stand up and do their job. Uh, but obviously, it's it, it's that's easier, much easier said than, said than done. Uh, in the U.S., where you have you know, the the U.S. and China are the two places where these very powerful technology companies exist. Um, DeepMind is sort of is, is an important major player, but is linked to, is part of Google, uh, which is US. Uh, and because, you know, so much wealth has been created, uh, politicians in the US have been a bit reluctant to uh, to engage in, in regulation. And on the whole, there's less regulation in the, in the States than, than, than elsewhere. Um, but, but you've seen uh, in the European Union, they, they've sort of taken a, a different approach and you know, they've established their European Union AI Act. Um, it's, you know, it, ha it hasn't been finalized, but it's near finalization in the, in the sort of last stage of their process. Um, now, of course, they, they are imposing the European uh, Union sort of government uh, in relation to uh, industries which are dominated by um, you know, foreign uh, countries. So it's a slightly different issue compared with, with the, the US. But basically, the US um, have to stand up. And my, my sense is that there are politicians who want to do that. Mm. Uh, but in, in the states, but uh, the the balance between Democrats and Republicans is you know is on a knife edge, um, you know in in Congress, and there is a uh, although the, you know there's a desire, you know, from I think from the Biden administration to to regulate, but but they're they're nervous of sort of losing the little bit of support they might get from from a mm. few. Republicans in order to get things through. Do you think this speaks, Robert, to, to though, with some of it, I, I'm just hearing you talk there, I, I'm kind of drawing parallels a little bit between the nuclear arms race of the sort of 70s and 80s that, that it, you know, I, I wonder whether there is the, there is an attitude that basically says, look, in if in the US, we don't have ours, and it's bigger and better than the Russians or the Chinese, you know, their their version of this will dominate us and you know that then becomes the conversation yeah. about the end of yeah. freedom and 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 i wonder whether that that pervasive thinking does exist in the mind of of governments no i i i'm sure it does uh so you have these two types of competition you have the competition between companies and though it may be between two u.s companies or as you say it's competition between two mm. states and and in this case the, the two states that have the, the vast bulk of capability in ai are the existing sort of hegemon the sort of ruling uh, most most powerful uh, dominant country in the world united states and the aspiring mm. hegemon in, in terms of china who would like to be the most powerful uh, state in, in in the world and any point where you know one might replace another is a period of uh, of high risk. You know, at, at any time, if you go sort of go back in history, 
Um, so you're absolutely right that you know that there is company competition, but also uh, uh, international geopolitical competition. Mm. Uh, and so for, 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 for me, the, the key point is therefore not to try to get away from that mindset of competition and to explore as much as possible the mindset of, of cooperation. And, and I'm questioning between the US and China, there are, in this area of AI, there are things where uh, they, they think on, they have the same objectives. There'll be some where, where there are different objectives, but there are some where they're the same and they should, they should be trying to sort of build, build on that and make a start um, in addressing things where they, where they where they have commonality are the are the are the regulators or the legislators are they even remotely ready or prepared for for this sort of conversation or negotiation because social media has been around for 20 years and and legislators still don't seem to understand how that works uh, and how to yeah. how to protect populations from the from the from the worst yeah. elements of it yeah um, is that also another part of the challenge that the technology is moving much, much quicker than than legislators tend to yeah. uh, tend to? Uh, no, unquestionably, yeah. I mean, the, the the challenge of regulating AI successfully and effectively is 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 huge, I and mean, it's, it's certainly very complex. Uh, it is very significant, and it is very fast moving, and it is often unpredictable and it is tied up as we were just saying in sort of geopolitical uh, struggles so nobody should uh say it's it's it's, it's a sort of simple task but the, but just because it's a challenge does not mean to say that we should one should shy away and think oh well maniana will you know we'll we'll have a go next year or the year after or or the year after and, and in, in in a sense, that's I think I suggest that's at least partly what's happened with with social media. Yeah. So I, I, I guess without heading straight down the straight down the dystopian track, then what's the so what's at, what's at stake here? The risks for for humanity of of quite, you know quote unquote if we, if we get this wrong. So what's the what's the risk of the of well, bad side? Well, I mean, if if we if we get the the the, the near term issues wrong. It basically means we're in for a pretty miserable time with people divided, confused, mistrusting, misled. Uh, but as as time progresses and you start to to look at, uh, at some of the bigger issues coming down, I mean, one of the things we haven't really talked about is uh, is the whole issue of employment, of work. Mm. Uh, you know, is it simply a source of income which, you know, can can come from government in the form of a universal basic income does does that is that the only reason for work to get some money or do people get uh, a sense of purpose a sense of identity from from the from the work that they do and you know whether that's a uh, uh, a, a king's counselor a barrister whether that's a, a postman whoever that is you can still get huge sort of sense of, of worth and identity and purpose. And if you if you lose that, is that progress? I, and I'm not saying it, you know, obviously, wealth and riches are what nice to have, have. And so if maybe there's a trade off between the two. But the crucial thing is that we don't want to find ourselves with no work to do. And then start thinking, oh, now, now what are we going to do? And is this what I want? What we need to do is to have the debate before that happens and try to determine mm -hmm. the sort of world we do want to have. And then maybe we, maybe we go down the route that creates all that free time and that's great. Or maybe we don't. We handle it a different way. But then, but okay, that, that was, sorry, that was just... One of the things no, no, we need to think about if yeah. we get it wrong is is the whole question about work. Um, we haven't talked about persuaders, uh, brilliant persuaders. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I mentioned this tool, a generative adversarial network, uh, and, the, and playing one against the other. Uh, you 
people are, are developing that concept uh, in terms of persuasion and what's coming down the track is persuaders if you if you think of uh, you know alpha go quickly it, it, it trained itself up playing against itself and became beat the world champion so there is a there is a risk of the world champion persuaders being on the phone at the door you know on your mobile Ooh. whatever it is morning noon and night so there's the whole thing of of uh, disinformation if we don't if we don't find a way of, of of sorting that we risk losing losing the trust in mm. in anything uh and so all this the, <clears throat> you know that's the medium term stuff and then there's the, the there's the there's the bigger stuff which we've, we've sort of touched on which is um you know if we find ourselves that we are no longer um you know the dominant species on the on the planet uh and if we think of uh you know alan alan turing back in in the early 1950s um you know we just spread when com computing was just starting but even then it was clear that as he said that at some point computers will probably exceed the intellectual capacity of their inventors and that therefore we should have to expect the machines to take control so we have the capability to avoid that if we want but otherwise that's what he suggests is likely and similarly jeffrey hinton who i've mentioned is sort of godfather of deep learning um his statement that there is not a good track record of less intelligent things controlling things of greater intelligence oh it is and so what we've just got to do is just uh, make sure we don't go beyond the threshold unless we understand what we're doing uh, and it is a positive conscious decision by by society. No, it's interesting just hearing you talk there. Uh, so I was reminded of the Shakespearean quote, which if every day were as to play, then to play would become as tedious as work. So it, as you say, we've got to think about what that, what that future societal construct is if if there is an ai bot doing yeah. the heavy lifting slash heavy thinking for us um so i, I think that that beautifully yeah. outlines that the need to to get a a, a global consensus on control um uh, uh, thinking about you know I, I i was thinking about a couple of things when with the you know human embryo and and fertilization seems to be something that globally we, we we've managed to get a decent kind of regulatory framework for but perhaps some of the climate crises um you know there's a conference every year where we agree that in 30 years time we might get better um do you see a, a a route to a framework that could work for controlling AI? Uh, well, <clears throat> there are various uh, ideas fl floating around, and and what what was what is good, and I, I totally applaud uh, uh, Rishi Sunak for you know sort of raising the banner of AI safety back in April, whenever it was, and and having this summit next week. Um, in that that is that has caused uh lots of thinking lots of proposals to come forward in in recent months uh but first of all in terms of precedence i mean the the best example that that people often quote is is the montreal protocol for uh for chlorofluorocarbons which were threatening and we were creating a huge great hole in the in the ozone layer um and once that was fully recognized and the cause was recognized, then uh, the Montreal Protocol brought people together and, and it, the term experimentalist governance. So they, they weren't sure exactly how they were gonna do it, but they worked together to let's, let's do that. And they found they made, imp made improvements. And then, so then they took the next step and they took uh, each chemical one one by one and they gradually wound them down to the production was 
down to zero. Uh, and that really did work. And you've seen the ozone, the, the, sort of the big holes suddenly you know, that were starting to, to close, close off. That sort of example of, of the world cooperating together intelligently um, is what mm. we need to pursue. Uh, there are thinking more directly about the, this specific nature. Um, the analogy often people come up with is the IAEA uh, for, um, nuclear uh, atomic energy. Uh, and there, one of the things they've been trying to control is uh, is inappropriate use of uh, of plutonium and and uh, nuclear materials for warfare. Um, we, you know, the, the disaster in Iraq showed it's it's not easy, uh, and there, there everyone thought. Uh, Saddam Hussein did have them because he was playing, he was behaving as though they did, but in fact they didn't. But uh, but on the whole, the IAEA has, has been very successful in 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 monitoring what's been happening um, and uh, and managing that overall global capability. And one thing that, that struck me uh, with, with, with that, Robert, is that, you know, again, and this is where, you know, uh, uh, is it something that the world could regulate because again in, in in very simplistic terms you know if you're going to start refining uranium or plutonium you you need a fairly sizable plant and you need you know knowledge and those things you know we've we've got the technology to be able to spot those potentially happening across the world i guess my my question is you know if you are working on generating advanced ai is it not simply that you need, and forgive my simplistic language, just a really big room full of lots of really powerful servers? Yeah, yeah. And, and broadly, you're right. And so that's why uh, controlling AI and the development of AGI and superintelligence is much, much more difficult than IEA. But you still have, you can draw on the sort of the constructs and the models uh, of, of sort of how the IAEA mm. operates, but it 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 will have to be much more detailed and complex. Um, there are there are some tools which are uh, which is slightly a bit more e easy to grasp. There's an excellent book by Mustafa Suleiman uh, called "The Coming Wave," which has came out in the the last few weeks, um, and there he lists sort of an action plan of 10 things that, that can be done to sort of gain control over the development of AI. And he points out, he raises the idea of, of choke points. And, and in practice, uh, the, the computer chips uh, that are required for these generative uh, large language models, there is it, there was not a massive suppliers. There's really an incredibly limited number of suppliers. And you always come down to one in, in NVIDIA. If you, you know, physically controlled the uh, the distribution of those chips, if you if you stopped, if you, you know, if you stopped production for for a period, or then that would have a dramatic effect on the development of, of new systems. Uh, and so, you know, there are. Uh, there are some, some tools uh, like that, uh, but uh, another one is is energy. Uh, if if this is sort of a big system is being developed, there may be a lot of energy being consumed, which you may mm. you may be able to monitor, and that then becomes a bit more analogous to um, to, to the nuclear sort of monitoring um, nuclear things. Um, but but the the the, the huge challenge in, in, in designing these uh, regulatory systems is that, that it it's because AI can uh, can move it's moving very fast uh, and can be unpredictable so the, the regime that you establish it mm. has to be agile and that's <laughs> not a, not a word that fits easily with sort of the UN bureaucratic systems of trying to get 196 countries all to agree 
you know, to move to I think reg two. regulatory bodies uh, generally are uh, agile is not a word that fits fits well with them. That's right. Simon. That's right. Um, so, um, so after the the PM speech this weekend, um, and you mentioned earlier on the the global summit uh, next week at Bletchley Park, what yep. do you feel is the is the likely oh. outcome? Um, well, we have. Or what do you hope will be? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 lots of people have been sort of following the statements very closely, um, and one thing that does seem to be emerging. Uh, at least quite a bit has been spoken about, is the idea of, uh, of an AI equivalent of the Intergovernmental panel, panel on Climate Change. And when climate change started to be addressed, which was goes back to 1992, and the, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change was first established. And then one of the sort of the, the first things uh, established as part of that process was this intergovernmental panel on, uh, sorry, yeah, the intergovernmental panel on climate change, IPCC. Um, and that produces uh, periodic, every few years produces a, re a report, which is brings together um, all the intelligence from around the world, uh, both sort of what has been happening and what could be done to address the problem in the coming years. Uh, and that has been well respected. And so the, the, the idea is that you'd have an AI equivalent, um, whether it's focused on AI or AI mm. safety, there are di different views. Um, but uh, clearly, you know, I think I think that would be an appropriate thing, whatever else happens, that would be an appropriate step to, to, to take. Um, but that's only a very first early step. Uh, what you need to do is, is to really, for this to be the start of a high profile process um, towards global AI governance. Um, and so um, some people have called for this group to meet every six months uh, until further notice, uh, but with, with with working groups in between the meetings, sort of try to try to set up some some concrete proposals for the next meeting, if it were in May, uh, when maybe some um, some significant institutions uh, could be established. Uh, but that then triggers the, sort of the question, which is a bit grey at the moment. People haven't really talked about, which is how this process starting with uh, at Bletchley Park, how that relates to the current UN process, which has a global digital compact discussions and a high level advisory body on AI. Uh, and so that that's going along. Are they, are they one single process? Are they two parallel processes? That needs to be clarified. Okay, thank you. So it's the very start of the very start of the conversation in the framework. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, Robert, thank you. Our time is drawing to an end. Um, thank you for leading us through a really uh, difficult and uh, challenging topic. And just in summary, uh, would you like to finish with a, a few words with perhaps uh, how, how you how you hope this story perhaps won't end, but will progress in, in the next couple of years? Uh, okay. Um... I mean, the, the crucial point that what we've been working for for the last few years is, is A, that, that people should be thinking about AI governance, uh, and B, that that should be global as much as possible. We should be thinking about global. And, and what's really encouraging is that uh, particularly, you know, since March, since that open letter talking about a pause, there has been a a discussion, you know, we're having a discussion now, but there's been a discussion around the world about about AI, about the risks, about the benefits. So that's that has started, and that's excellent. Uh, we know that the design of regulation um, is hugely complex, uh, but if uh, ne next week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, is the start of a of a of a real process with some sense of urgency. 
um, and we can establish a, uh, an intergovernmental panel reporting on on uh, on the situation, and then start to develop some some institutions. Then uh, then I will feel much more comfortable than I did, uh, let's say, nine months ago. Brilliant. Robert, thank you ever so much thank for your you. time. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guest today has been Robert Whitfield. I've been Simon Sansbury. Uh, please do remember to um, like, follow, subscribe, etc. Click whatever buttons you need to uh, to make sure you uh, you get our next bit of content. Um, thanks again to Robert for joining us this evening, and you can join us next week at six twenty-seven. <laughs>